This is KMTT Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. This is Ezra Beck, and today is Erev Shabbat Hachshat Nasa. Uh, normally, you'd be hearing the voice of uh, of Yonatan Snowbell now, and in fact, that Snowbell has prepared this uh, the podcast, which should have been done today. A few minutes after he brought it to our computer, the computer decided to commit uh, suicide, or at least to go into a deep-seated coma. And that was before we were managed, it was after we erased the original copy on the recording device, but before a backup was made. So the, the file is there, and I hope to get it out, but it won't be today, not before Sunday. In order not to disappoint our daily loyal listeners, we do have the section of Habav Tavori's weekly uh, discussion of the Gadol the yard side of the week. And therefore, there will be a shorter program today, only left the boys' part. When the computer recovers and we recover the files from the KMTT computer, an amended version of today's podcast will be, uh, will be, will be sent out, will be uploaded, and hopefully that will be on Sunday. So anyone who wants to hear the whole thing or anyone who only gets around to hearing the podcast by then will presumably get the, the correct version. We'll take off this version and put on that one. But in the meantime, for those of you who are daily listeners, we have half a version of the Arab Shabbat program. HaRav Binyamin Tabori discussing Rav Zelig Ruven Bengas. This week... When Zion Iyar, when Zion Sivan, is the yard site of Rav Zelig Ruven Bengis, known as the Rav of the Eda Haredis of Yerushalayim. Rav Zelig Ruven was born near Vilna in Lithuania in 1864. His parents were wealthy, but were also known as people who were involved in Torah learning. His family, especially his mother's side, were known as Tamini Chachamim for many generations, but the fact that his parents were wealthy enabled him to, to lead his life in a way that he felt more appropriate, which we will soon see. At early childhood, he was known as an Ilui. There's a story told about him that when he was 10 years old, he came to a shiur, and he quoted Rashi by heart, and the people were amazed by his erudition. He went to the yeshiva in Valazhin and learned by the Nitziv. Reb Chaim was also in the yeshiva at that time. It seems that Reb Zalig Ruvain was more close to the Nitziv and thought that the Derech Halimud, the approach to Torah that he had, was based on the uh, Nitziv rather than Reb Chaim. At the time in, when he was learning, he was a, an older Chavruta of Rabbi Zaman Meltzer, the author of the Evan Ha'azel, became the, who became later the Rosh Hashiva of Eitzchayim. And Rabbi Zaman actually outlived Rav Zaligruvin by a few years, and he was masked him at the time when Rav Bengis was Nifter. He was so well known that he received a number of smichos, a number of letters from Gedolim as Rebitzah Kachanan, 
Rabbi Yaakov Yosef, and others. When he, after he was married and he decided to go into Rabbanus, he did not need to go to a big town where there would be a better Parnassa because he wanted to go to a small town where he felt he would be able to develop himself in learning more and spend more time in learning. He went to a small village, a small town called Bradki, and he was there for 17 years. While he was there, he obviously sat ala Torah v'alavoda. He obviously spent a lot of time learning, and he began publishing his set of svarim called Lifla Goes Through Uving. These svarim are rather unusual in the fact that they are not based on straight mesechtos or on the Rambam, as is the custom of many Russia yeshiva, of many rabbanim. Rather, it was a collection of hadranim, the kind of a talk that's given when you finish a siyum, and sometimes it involves a lot of a type of intellectual casuistry where you combine the end of one Masechta to the beginning of a new Masechta. And it's generally uh, different isolated topics that are put together rather ingeniously. He said that he published his Sfarim that way because he felt that standard type of Sfarim were so rampant that another Sefer people wouldn't look at. Because this was unusual, perhaps people would use it more. In fact, when a Rav, a Rosh Hashiva, has to make a Hadron, sometimes he himself has to make the Hadron, and very often he would look for Sifre Hadronim, look for certain volumes that were written in that style in order to see, to get some ideas of what to say. There are a few other Sfarim like this of uh, the Hadron variety. Uh, Rabbi Mirsky, um, the Rabbi of uh, Borough Park, when I was growing up, also pro- published a sefer uh, of Adranim, Rabbi Nachum Rabinovich, Shibadel Chaim Tovim, the Rosh Hashiva of Maladumim, has such a sefer, and, and there are many svarim like this. However, Liftagas Ruvain was the main sefer that Rav Bengis wrote, a number of volumes, and most of them dealt with these topics of Hadranim on Mishnayis and Gemaris. After being in Bratki for 17 years, he went to a, a, another town called Kalaviria, and he was there for 25 years or so. So he was a Rav in small towns for a very long time. In 1932, there was a discussion of offering him a position in Eretz Israel. At first, it seems that Rav Bengis was reluctant to take a position like that. It has been suggested that the reason he did not want to take this position, although it was known that he was a great lover of Eretz Israel and wanted to come on Aliyah, he felt this particular position would put him in conflict with Rav Kook, who was the chief rabbi of Eretz Israel. Rav Bengis had known Rav Kook 
from this days in Palashin, I will show later a story that reflects the mutual respect between Rav Bengis and Rav Kook. And he did not want to take a position where he felt there would be any sort of a conflict with Rav Kook. A few years later, in 1936, he was offered the position of being the Rav of the Eid HaRedis in Yerushalayim. This already was a year after Rav Kook passed away. Then he did accept the position and he arrived in Eretz Israel in 1937, just before Yom Kippur. In ten years later or so, when Rav Dushinsky, who was the Rav Av Bezdin of Yerushalayim, passed away, so it was Rav Bengis who was chosen to replace him as the Rav. At the same time, he was also the Rosh Yeshiva of a yeshiva called Oel Moshe. And there is a yeshiva today, in not far from the Shuk of Yerushalayim, which has on it the name of Rav Ruven Bengis, that may be the continuation of that yeshiva, which he started many years ago. Now, in my world, when you say the Eidah Charedis, it sounds people who are really opposed to religious Zionism and are very separatist. It seems that Rav Bengis, although he was the Rav of the Eidah Charedis, was a person who tried to somehow mediate between the two groups. He was instrumental in calming down any sort of arguments, any sort of, of machlokas. And he tried very hard to make sure that the extremists, the Natura Karta, did not create, foment any tremendous arguments in Yerushalayim. The main fame of, of Bengis is in his learning and in his Mahasmada. He was a tremendous masmid. I had a friend who was a Ram in Yeshivat Midrashiyat Norma Padishana, where I taught for many years, for a few years, Rav Yosef Kravitz, who was Zichrona Livracha, was an older Ram in that yeshiva, and he told me that he was invited to the Siyum of Rav Bengis. So, at first, I didn't understand. He was invited to a Siyum. Many people were invited to a Siyum. He said to me, this was called the Siyum HaGadol. I said, what did you mean by the Siyum HaGadol? He finished Shas. All right. I've already heard of many Shas. He told me this was announced by Rav Bengis. This is the hundredth time he had finished Shas. He had a custom of going over the entire Shas every 11 months. In 11 months, he finished Shas. But they say that once he made another Siyum HaShas after six months. And they asked him, how could it be? He always finishes 11 months. This is almost twice as fast. And he answered that lately he had been invited to many weddings. I assume as being the Rav of the Ada, the 
big rav in Yerushalayim, he was invited to many simchas, and he said very often, the simchas become delayed. The chasim doesn't start on time. Whatever it is, is always delayed. So he said he used to take that opportunity to go over the shas. Since he had more time at these simchas, he finished the shas more quickly. He said shas by heart. This to me is reminiscent of, of another gadol that I had the privilege of meeting, Rav Hirschbrunk of Montreal, who just used to recite shas almost uh, all the time. He knew it so well by heart that, you know, he was walking the street, he would re- recite a homosechta in, in a few minutes. It was a remarkable thing to watch. Rabbi Zalman was the maspid of Rav Bengis, and at one point, apparently, Rav Bengis bemoaned the fate of his Svarim to Rav Zalman. He had told him that Rav Zalman's Svarim, the Evan Ha'azel, which is based on the Rambam in a consecutive order of the various Svarim, not all the Svarim, but a certain Svarim of the Rambam, was a Sefer that was well used in Yeshiva. But the Liflagos Ruvain somehow did not make it into the Yeshiva world because in the yeshiva world, they learned svarim that are either based on shas as you go along, shiurim on the mesechtas you're learning, or on svarim in the Rambam. A sefer of hadranim is not what's usually used in a yeshiva. And although everybody recognized the lambdas, the godless of, of, of Rabengis, the derech of Reb Chaim seems to have been much more prevalent in the yeshiva world than the approach that he took based on the derech of the Nitziv. So, it is true that the Liflagos Reuven is a sefer that many, many Rabbanim and Gedolim spoke about the greatness, the Bikiyas, the Iyun of those Sfarim. Nevertheless, they did not take a central role in the average, even the average Talmud Chacham's library, and are not as well used as other Svarim, which are based on either Shas or on the Rambam. Rav Bengis was Nifter in 1953 in Zion Sivan. As I mentioned before, Rabbi Zalman was Maspid, and he was buried in a section that was then designated as Chelkas HaRabanim of Haramanuchos. A special section for big Rabbanim, were buried together. Some of the people that are buried today in that Chelkas Rabbanim include <coughs> Rebbe Sezalman, Rebbe Velvel Biskarov, Rebbe Aaron Kutler, Rebbe Chaim Shmulevitz, and others. Now, I heard a story many years ago that although I do not know the source for the story, it remains a story in my mind that showed the relationship between Rav Kook and Rav Bengis. In a sense, the story is about Rav Kook, but it shows his respect for Rav Bengis. A person came from America to Yerushalayim to visit Rav Kook near the end of his life and brought Rav Kook a present. He went into the office of Rav Kook and came out with a 
very happy look on his face. People asked him what happened, and he said he brought a present for Rav Kook. So when they went to Rav Kook, they saw that he had a new watch that this person from America had given him. But it was known that Rav Kook did not accept gifts. And they asked the question, why did you accept the gift? So the person in question explained that it wasn't really a gift, it was a payment for a lesson that he had learned from Rav Kook. It seems that years before, when Rav Kook was perhaps more famous and in certain circles was considered a major guttle, Rav Bengis was less n- known. He was a Rav in a small town. And in certain circles, obviously, there was a difference between the people that would respect and revere Rav Kook and those that were in the world of Rav Reuven Bengis. So apparently somebody insulted Rav Bengis. Rav Kook thereupon slapped him in the face. Rav Kook said, a young Talmud Chacham, I don't know exactly the ages, it seems that Rav Kook actually was the same, born almost the same year as Rav Bengis, but nevertheless, it seems Rav Kook was better known, and he said someone who insults a young Talmud Chacham has no place in my world. The person was so embarrassed by this slap that he left town, became went to work in another town, became very wealthy, and years later he came to Rav Kook and said, you taught me such a lesson in Kavod Torah, in Kavod for this particular case, Kavod for Rav Bengis, that I simply had to pay you for the Sheyur, and that's why Rav Kook accepted the gift or a payment, as it were. Rav Bengis's family is also well known. I knew, I still have met his grandson, Rav Vitzik of Baltimore, and that family evolved in various directions, but the Tarragon family of um, today, some of them are in New York, some of them are in California, some of them in Gush Etzion. Some, some of the Tarragon family is uh, related to Rav Bengis, the grandchildren of, great-great-great-grandchildren of Rav Bengis. In fact, in the yeshiva, we have Rav Moshe Tarragon, and of course, the Rav Zelig Ruven Tarragon, the Eram in Yeshivat HaKotel, is not only a descendant, but carries the name of Rav Zelig Ruven Bengis. So we see that his Lumdis, his family, carries on. As I said, he was Nifter in Zion Sivan in 1953. His Farim live behind him. His family also continues the Drachim the of learning Torah that he so propagated. You've been listening to Rav Tavori, Rav Yemen Tavori, the outside of Rav Ruven Bengus, which falls this week. And this is Ezra Beck wishing you all Shabbat Shalom and Chag Sameach, Chag Shavuot, which is right around the corner. to be We live, we experience Matan Torah, Kabbalat Torah. We should uh, reinvest and strengthen once again our own personal commitment to Tomu Torah, for which KMTT is a small but I hope important part. 
Shabbat Shalom, Chag Sameach, and we'll be back next week after uh, Chag HaShavuot with our regular programming. Kol Tov.